0: Well, hello there, HW here, and thank you so much for listening to episode 11 of the Tone Junkie podcast. You may also be watching on the special video edition of this podcast, available on Facebook, YouTube, IGTV. A little special day today, because I don't normally do a video edition of the podcast, but what I had to say today I thought was was uh, was unique and important, and, uh, and it's actually my hope um, that if you are an amplifier manufacturer... If you are a member of the industry and someone has shared this video with you, um, I think this could be really important stuff because I think for some companies out there, the stuff I'm going to talk about today is it may be the difference between being in business in 24 to 36 months and being out of business in 24 to 36 months. For those of you who don't know me, my name is HW and I have been a marketer for about 10 years. I got involved in marketing some early web 2.0 stuff, uh, you know, a lot of AdWords, the old school marketing mix stuff online, um, AdWords retargeting, banner banner retargeting, um, email marketing and stuff. And now, uh, I do social content, but I just got back from Nam, and uh, some of the suspicions I had in my head, some of the things that I've been um, thinking about and noticing. It is just so abundantly clear to me right now uh, that all those things are happening way faster than I realized and that this industry, um, the guitar industry, the electric guitar industry, the musical um, uh, instruments business, the amplifier business is about to get turned really, really upside down. You've seen the title already. It's called What's Killing, What's Really Killing the Tube Amp. And I'm calling this podcast What's Really Killing the Tube Amp because I think there's a lot of ideas of what's hurting the industry. But I really don't think those are the main concerns. Like 100%. um, I have never felt more strongly that the amplifier community is in a bubble doesn't have any idea why people are actually buying their amps and doesn't realize the money on the table they're giving up. I really don't think they're watching the industry trends. And I'm not surprised because it's been it's been a characteristic of this industry for so long to be militantly nostalgic. And it's been so nostalgic for so long. It's been so... 50 watt plexi classic circuit big box everything the same way we did it in late 50s early 60s or customers don't want it and i believe that has been true largely up until very very recently and so i think what we have is largely an industry of people who are not recognizing the opportunity in front of them they're not recognizing the real consumer demand that exists in front of them for certain products and they're just leaving so much money on the table, and they're and everyone's hurting right now, right? The industry is hurting right now. The industry is is hurting right now. So let me just say this. Um, let me first start with this. Some of you might be thinking, "Oh, uh, I know this guy. He's from Tone Junkie, and they're really into the Kemper." And uh, they talk about other stuff, other digital stuff too. And um, they're just going to say digital is better than tubes. I'm not going to say that. That's not my opinion that digital is better than tubes. My opinion is actually far more nuanced than that. And it's actually that there are so many new problems, new customer pain points. Some of them have always been there but it is only what's unique is right now the customer is demanding solutions for them and the demand is up and I used to think that we were five years out I think we're two and three years out from going to Nam and seeing half the half of the amps at Nam are either using some sort of digital component digital um IR or, or some modeling or some profiling technology or are completely a sub miniature tube, a new tube, which is a clone of a tube using they've, the new tube stuff, takes out uh, the tube components from the glass and rebuilds it um, in something that's more um, circuit board friendly, but it responds like a tube. We're going to talk about Korg. We're going to talk about what that means. Um, we're going to talk about the mini tubes coming out and the new tube technology because it's really important even if you don't think it is. They're, they're spending a lot of money over the next several years to re-educate the consumer and make these smaller alternative tube technologies technologies look like real viable alternatives. And My question for any small builder out there is what are you going to do when you get outspent year after year after year after year, and the consumer is being conditioned to believe these are all viable alternatives. whether they are whether you think they are or not, the issue is whether the consumer believes so or not. So let's jump in. First of all, um, let me just say this. Uh, if, if you don't like what I have to say today, I want to implore you, please watch till the end of this video. listen to the end of this podcast because'm because because I, th- I think I'm going to say some things that I haven't really been hearing anybody say. First of all is this. I think there's an idea still out there, and I think this idea has pretty much become moot at this point. It's the idea that nothing, nothing sounds like tubes. And I I don't disagree with that. There is no better experience. There, or I shouldn't say there's no better experience. It is a very unique and rewarding and beautiful, and I'm romantic about gear, and I love amps and guitars and everything. It's so... Standing in front of a 412 cab Playing a big 100 watt head And just letting it rip And the guitar is feeding back And you can like feel the air moving And it's too loud for the room you're in But that just makes all that 3D Chime and swirl and bass Just run around the whole room It just gets Oh it's it's awesome It's heavenly it's, I love it I love that stuff But if you think that that is the question or that is the truth that determines consumer behavior on which amp they buy, I think you're sorely mistaken. Because I think there's some real new pain points that the consumer is expressing and I don't really see them being met by a lot of companies, especially the smaller boutique amplifier companies who I just don't see changing enough. I'm not talking about building solid-state amps. I'm talking about how do we tackle the fact that that experience of playing a 412 is amazing. However, I can't do that in my house. Cue all the eye rolls, right? Cue the people. That's always been a problem. Of course, you got to turn them up to sound real good. Yeah, but let me throw this at you. After World War II, from about 47 on we saw a change in this country with the planning, the building and development of suburbia. And up until about 2000, all the numbers pointed to people leaving urban environments over time. But what we have right now, actually, if go look at the numbers, go Google this, go Google rise of urbanization. And you will see that for the last 18 years in the United States of America, There has been an insanely high resurgence in the demand for urban housing, and there has been an exodus from suburban environments back into urban environments. Young people, millennials especially, want to live their lives in an urban environment again. Now, right now you're probably thinking, H.W., this is a podcast about gear, and you lured me in here with a clickbait sort of title about why the two bamps dying now you're talking about urbanization i am talking about urbanization because you'd be arrogant to think that huge changes to where people want to live in the united states especially young people where the next generation or really where the current generation wants to live because there are now more millennials in the workforce than there are Uh, Baby boomers. And although baby boomers still have more buying power, that's only because they have more money in the bank. (laughs) And my question is, are those baby boomers really the ones driving this industry and going to be driving it in five years? See, the rise in urbanization creates, it only exacerbates the real problem here, which is that tube amps are too loud. They were designed to be very loud, and they used existing technology to be very loud. See, early tube amps were designed... To actually electronify the bass To actually uh, uh, Amplify the guitar Over a jazz uh, section because Over the horns Because before that You had just the clack of the acoustic guitar (coughs) That's the, the clack of the acoustic guitar In the rhythm section That was really the tonality So much of the tonality of the guitar Used to get lost It was designed to get the 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 lap steel guitar louder for Hawaiian music where it wasn't loud enough in an acoustic environment all of these worked very well for the tube amp but you have to have to understand the tube amp was also designed at a time when modern sound engineering didn't look like it does at all right now you might be checking out mentally this podcast going oh this guy's just hating on the tube amp no i'm trying to bring up a real problem that i think technology offers a solution for and that a solution can be arrived at using tubes but i don't see manufacturers doing it what i see is manufacturers going oh you want a big 100 watt plexi sound well let me take those 3el34s and let me scale them down into in the 2el34s okay it changes the feel and it's not real it's not it's not quiet enough to play in my bedroom it's not quiet enough to play in a 10 by 12 room, you know. I'm in a I'm in a like 12 by 14 room right now, and this is a an environment similar to where most people play guitars. I have a much larger room out there that I use as like another living room, but this whole floor I utilize for guitar stuff. Um but I just this is this feels like a studio, you know, it feels a little smaller like a studio in here. So that's just what I you know kind of it's just what I want to do. You know, I, I feel a little more homey in a smaller room like this. So this is my studio. So I choose this space and a lot of people choose spaces just like this. This is suburban spaces. I have a Sir Bella behind me. Those of you on the podcast can't see it, but I have a Sir Bella behind me. That amp I thought for years was just a clean pedal platform amp. amp. And it is, it is a clean pedal platform amp. I never got a past five not at a gig where I set it up clean where I usually mic'd it and they're trying to keep the stage volume low because like I said modern sound systems we're not looking for a ton of stage volume better sound comes actually from isolating the stage we want to isolate the components on the stage so that we have more control over it but tube amps need to be loud to let us do that that amp behind me that Sir Bella amplifier right there that thing with the mid boost on Turning it up to five, it starts to take on like a vintage-y Marshall-esque territory. And I love it. And it's beautiful. And now I play that sound all the time through my Kemper that's sitting right above it. Because for my use, the Kemper is, is, to be honest, a better solution. It's a better solution for um, when the kids go to sleep. It's a better solution for living in an apartment. But it's not just the Kemper. If you don't like the Kemper, that's fine. We've also seen a rise in, in things like IRs. Because I haven't, because tube manufacturers may step down from 100 to 50 watts, or they might even step down 50 to 7 watts, you know, or to, to 25, down to 12, down to 7. Or they might convert to EL34s. They might do all these things, but we still have the problem of a speaker needs to compress. And that's a big part of the tube sound. you know. You're hard find to find any speakers that are even made anymore. You'd be hard find to, to find any sort of audio um, uh, 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 driver that is as non-transparent as a guitar speaker. The guitar speaker is just as much part of the sound as the tube amplifier. And yet, you need to turn it loud. So no matter how low you make the wattage in the amp, you still have the problem of that speaker has an efficiency rating at a decibel level, and it must perform in order to compress and deliver the goods, so to speak. Well, what do you do about that? IRs have never been more popular. My friends, let me tell you this. If you think out there the tube amp will never be replaced, I'd like to let's just walk along the sort of path we've all taken as a community of guitar players. I remember going and buying analog like please really hear this because I remember them saying this about delays and then and now and now some people say it about cabinets, but the IR is is attacking the guitar cabinet right now. I can't tell you. I probably saw a third of the booths, if not more, were using an aux, a torpedo live to, to be the cabinet of an amp, a Kemper, or some digital unit to give headphone out to people to try things in silence at Nam, or to just be a scalable volume downward in a hall that's super loud. The cab is under attack. The tube amp is next. But I want you to understand what's really killing it. What's really killing the tube amplifier is that amp manufacturers are not responding to the problems that exist. First problem, urbanization and the need for lower volume solutions. And amp manufacturers are literally just scaling down power sections and have been for years and not worrying about the speaker. So we have a solution for the speaker now. It's IRs. Agree or disagree with this next statement. You are probably more accepting of IRs than you were five years ago. You probably believe now that IRs at least do a very good job of replicating the sound of a cabinet. I don't think anyone now compared to five years ago thinks IRs has a worse opinion of IRs. Your opinion is either the same or better. And that is so important to understand that if no one's opinion is worse, nobody now, nobody five years ago was like, IRs are so amazing. And now they're like, nah, IRs are terrible. No. You either think nothing replaces the tube have nothing sounds like a speaker. I've tried IRs, they're terrible. Or now you go, yeah, that torpedo stuff, I tried it, it's good. I just talked to a very famous guitar player. You'd know who he was. He plays a bunch of slide, Canadian guy. Um, I'm not gonna say his name, um, but he's regarded probably right now as one of the one of the best new guitar players out there. He's young. And he said to me, We were talking about the Kemper and digital stuff, and he said to me, um, yeah, you know, we're doing a lot more gi- ears, we're doing a lot more gigs with in-ears right now, and the IR sound sometimes better than the mics. Pfft. Now that's a guy who has cartage, who goes around, he's not playing stadiums. But he, br- he plays a very expensive tube amp, very expensive, and he plays a big cabinet, and he loves to feel the sound on the stage, but when the room gets too small, or they're doing a benefit show, or they're doing a small show, or a private gig, or they get hired to do a big corporate gig, sometimes you got to put in the in-ears because the room is small, because logistically that's what you have to do, and that is a reality of the music business. It's a reality of the music business that I don't see. Check this out. I used to believe, I used to. I wasn't a digital fan. I, I never thought any of it could touch tubes. I didn't even believe that digital delays were right. I thought, no, nothing sounds like a BBD chip. Nothing sounds like an analog delay. I used to have two big uh, deluxe memory mans on my board, two DMMs the big silver ones with no tap tempo cuz that's what the edge used that's what everybody used that's what eric johnson used that's what um that's it that's the sound that was 10 years ago that was 12 years ago that was 15 years ago ask on any internet forum ask any of your friends over drinks what the top 3 best delays are on the market today Ask what the top five are, the top 10, and I think the responses you're going to get are 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 big box digital units. I don't think it's really a relevant opinion anymore to say the Strymon timeline doesn't sound as good as my analog delay. Everyone would literally just be like, yeah, dude, but it sounds so good, or like, dude, I don't, you can't tell the difference in a mix, or you can't tell the difference in a recording, or yeah, but it does all these sounds and does it so well it's just not a relevant opinion anymore that digital delays and digital modulation aren't there aren't relevant solutions aren't highly in demand that's just not uh that was an opinion that existed in the guitar community put on your go back in your memory that was an opinion the dl4 the big green line six box people said that's garbage i'm never going to play one of those some people loved it but it did not have the wide acceptance that big box digital delays have now. Fast forward to the cabinet or or even fast forward to like some digital distortion units. Like the Strymon units, I don't think they're very good. The Strymon Riverside and the and the red one, I can't remember what it's called. Um, I don't think those units sound very good to me, to be honest. But Strymon has done so much for digital overdrive in terms of consumer perception, because they've put their reputation behind it. I think most people would tell you, yeah, probably the other units sound better. I mean, Hey, this is probably some of the best digital stuff out there. And they're probably thinking it's not bad anymore. And if you're a tube amp manufacturer, if you're a manufacturer in this business at all, you need to understand that change in consumer behavior, that change in consumer perception, it really changes the products that the consumer is demanding, and it really changes what you should be offering. I'm not telling you to go make a digital amp, I am saying you gotta have solutions that solve the volume issue. And I am saying, look at guitar players and look at how their perception changes over time. Analog delay, first tape units, tape, tape, tape. If it wasn't tape, it wasn't right. Analog delay, oh, this just copies tape. Analog delay, that's it. Analog, analog, analog. Oh, digital is garbage. Slowly but surely, we all put digital on our board. Now the cabinet is under attack. The cabinet is under attack because it's so not practical it's not practical to carry in these large drivers put them on stage blast your sound guy who's constantly telling you to turn them down I used to go see and be a part of the post-rock scene in San Francisco sort of the indie rock scene and I saw so many terrible concerts because of guys bringing their Mesa boogies on stage screaming into a microphone and thinking it sounded good and it sounded terrible the music sounded terrible Millennials do not share the 1960s and 70s and even the 80s and early 90s opinion of louder is better, rock, 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 yeah, like, like, no. Millennials are being exposed to so much electronic music where you go see it live and the sound is super controlled and super produced and polished because all it is is a DJ dancing around on stage. Millennials are used to that light show. And that's why, that is why is why Taylor Swift has, has hit her entire band who had top players like Sean Tubbs. Sean Tubbs is the best guitar player in Nashville. I'm in Nashville and we say that. Trust me, that is a popular opinion. Sean Tubbs is the best guitar player in Nashville. I said Taylor Swift. I meant Carrie Underwood. But it applies for Taylor Swift as well. Sean Tubbs was playing for Carrie Underwood. There's a reason... That, that Taylor Swift and Carrie Underwood's band has all gone digital. They have to go digital. I'm actually not 100% sure if Taylor Swift has, although I know they've done gigs all digital. But Taylor Swift's band, there's a reason they moved everybody the axe. Because the state, because the production of the show is becoming more important. When you go see a DJ, a popular DJ like Skrillex at a concert and it's 100% about the light show and then you go see Carrie Underwood, that old style, or you go see Taylor Swift, that old style of Britney Spears dancing around with background dancers doesn't work anymore. They're not looking for a Madonna show from the 80s. It's all about this high production stuff. They're looking for a show. And so the artist and the production people putting on a show, they're going, we don't have any time for these non-practical tube amps. We'll play the track and you'll air sync the guitar before you get that thing on stage. And we have, and we can't move it. And the show has to be compromised for the guitar player. That's the reality of the industry today. If you don't like it, it doesn't matter. It truly does not matter what you think, what you like, whether you like digital or you don't. It's coming, and it's going to kick you in the mouth. And I don't want you to go out of business because you're some of... I'm so romantic about the gear. I love the gear. I love Matchless and Bad Cat. I love um, Vox and Fender, the classics, and Marshall. I love Park. I love Tone King and and um and all the small makers i just i love them all i want people to step into the 21st century here so let's talk about that if the cabinet is under attack if the cabinet is under attack what is the next thing to happen if you, if this is the real thing, if you are on the world tour, see someone said this to me recently, I made a new friend at Nam. he owns a guitar company that makes re- some really nice guitars. Um, and I'm not going to say his name cause I don't know if he wants this opinion out there or what, but he said this to me, he said, he said, yeah, but you know, I just can't see the edge playing digital. I can't see the edge playing an ax or a Kemper or using IRs to which I would say this, that is true. The Edge is not going to change his rig because of nostalgia and because he's The Edge. He doesn't have to. He's on world tours. The Edge isn't playing bar dives and one-off shows. He's not playing... The Edge isn't someone who might be a guitar player in a popular band who's maybe making less than $200,000 a year. There are a ton of those guys. Now, to a lot of people they might be going, $200,000 a year. My point is The Edge is rich. He's freaking wealthy. He's really, really wealthy. There are a lot of famous people who are not, well, they don't have a boat. They got a nice house and a nice car. And their problem is still is, wait, how much to get my 412 there? I'm not going to pay $2,000. I'm not going to pay the tech who I need on the other end to do it. We could just have the guitar tech set up my rig instead of having an amp tech and a guitar tech. And And with streaming and these guys are all making less money, you think they're interested in spending more money on the road? They're not. So what they're doing is they're going, fine, I'll take my 100-watt head and I'm going to bring a torpedo box and that's what I'm going to do. Or for the one-off show, I'm going to bring the Kemper. You guys, I know, I know personally people who are endorsed by boutique amp companies who have signature guitar amps. Are you hearing me? Signature guitar amps who who for fly dates and one-offs, they bring their Kemper. They... They have signature guitar amps with boutique amp companies who hate digital, who hate the Kemper, who say it takes food off their table and who don't want doesn't want anything to change. They're mad because because the industry is down. They're hurting. I feel for them, but they're missing the mark here. They're not understanding what's really going on. They're not selling less tube amps because someone thought, oh, I don't have to buy a $3,000 amp head and a $1,000 cab. I could just buy a Kemper and a $25 profile pack. I'll do that. Yeah, freaking right. That's not the same consumer at all. You know what they sound like? It sounds like the Recording Industry Industry Association of America, the the RIAA, when they went to court and they said every illegal download of music should be valued at retail pricing. And that those are our damages. They tried to do that in court. Do you know what the number came to? That, that, the, that the the RIAA said that their damages were from illegal downloads from Napster and all these places? It was more than all the money that existed in the entire planet. It was tens of trillions of dollars. It, what? What? It, like... It doesn't make any sense. That wasn't the damages because what happened, see what ha- what's happening with digital is what happened then. I, people went and downloaded gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of music on in MP3 format and they never listened to it. You couldn't have listened to it all. They just bought, they just got these big torrents that was like, it was like, it was, these torrents were like literally every major release from every band from 1980 to 2005. Those were like the torrents. And you just download and you had the library. And really what that showed us was this. Consumers don't actually care about owning music. All they cared about was access to it. They were getting access to it. And now we pay $10 a month. And we gave up ownership for access. Whatever. I don't. Who cares? I don't know if that's good or bad. See things like the Torpedo. See hardware like the Torpedo, like the Kemper. Like an IR player. They make the problem presented by guitar cabinets, much more practical. See, it's much more practical to bring a head, even a small amp head and play a torpedo and an IR than it is to bring that giant cabinet. This is the question I have because I think a lot of amp manufacturers are afraid to get involved in things like the Kemper. They're afraid to get involved in digital. They're afraid to get involved in IRs because they think it's going to undercut their business. And I really think that's such a mistake because largely I think a lot of people who move over to the Kemper are out of your market anyway. They're not buying tube amps. But I'll tell you in a piece of anecdotal evidence, I have profiled the amps. I sell profiles. I have profiled the amps, one, one particular company, three of their amps. And I have a community of people who buy my profiles. They're my customers. They're my friends. They're my fans. They're my community. Three amps I profiled from one manufacturer. And over time I made those packs available two of those amps when i was done with i bought them used on reverb and when i wanted to go resell them do you know who bought them two out of three of those amps were purchased by people who bought my profiles and they said i want that amp one guy even bought the head from me and then went out and ordered brand new the matching cab which i did not have now i know you're thinking oh bs bs you think oh you think i you're you're helping the amp industry by profiling no what i'm trying to get you to understand is that there's not a one-to-one relationship here maybe there are people who might have bought an amp but instead they bought a profile maybe but I am actually involved in this community, and I will tell you, in the Kemper community, there is a healthy understanding that the Kemper does not produce the same experience an am- a tube amplifier does. And so what I find is, while many people have gone all Kemper, many, many of the community is more like me. They still have some of their favorite amps around, but they, they don't carry them out of their home anymore. See, through studio monitors, a Kemper doesn't sound like an amp. A Kemper doesn't sound like an amp at all. A Kemper actually sounds like an amp in the next room mic'd up because that's what the Kemper captures. See, the Kemper can capture signal chains. And so you end up mic'ing an amp and you're getting the mic'd amp sound and then you're playing it back through monitors or an FRFR speaker. It's a very different experience. But what it's very good for is when I go play on a Sunday morning or when I play on a Friday night and I have to play with in-ears because my church... Or the local bar, they want to keep the stage more quiet because it controls the sound. So amplifiers don't really work that well. And in fact, what a lot of churches have done is repurpose space or bars have an is repurpose space to house an amplifier to be the quote unquote amp room. Do you know how, how expensive having a room for amps is in a city like San Francisco where I'm from? Do you know how expensive it is in a city like Nashville It's becoming a heck of a lot more expensive in Nashville to have a room set aside for tube amps. If you are a person who wants to tell the market or who believes in the back of their head, nothing will ever replace tube amps. Real people, real players know that tubes can't be replaced. It's worth it to bring the amp. You're working against urbanization and rising property costs, rising real estate costs that actually are making it impossible to have those extra spaces in establishments where live music can be played. So I don't think there's a real relation. I think the guitar player is smartening up and going, well, I have some gear that I play live that I play for recording and then I play in the studio and then I have some gear I take out because it's too much of a hassle. I can't bring my 412. I can't even bring my 212. Even my, hey, 112 works. Why not? But here's the problem. The speakers are limited. I can't play my 100-watt head through my traditional uh, 112 because then I got to change out the speaker and I love the sound of greenbacks. Do you see how hard it is? If your iPhone was... You see all the problems that I'm bringing up? How intricate this is? Like, are you listening to me talk about all all the different scenarios? If your iPhone was this hard, you wouldn't use it. If your smart TV was this hard, you wouldn't use it. If your Apple Watch was this hard, you wouldn't use it. Consumers don't like this hard stuff. Things need to be easy. The cabinet is under attack. People are are accepting that digital may be better for live use or for controlled environments. I gave you a piece of anecdotal evidence where I think digital has helped AMP sales. I, I strongly do not believe that the number of Kempers out there in the world is significantly, and and the purchasing, and the people who I see in the community who have gone all Kemper, no amps, is significant enough to believe that someone would buy a $25 or $40 profile pack and so because of that they would put off the purchase of a $3,000 amp. I just don't believe that because I see in the community the opinion that they're not the same thing. I think they just wouldn't experience that amp. And I wish ant manufacturers would realize that if that there's a way to make all tube technology and digital products and exist. And so that's what we're going to talk about right now. What's really killing the tube amp is a lack of modernization in a world dealing with urbanization. That is, we have to fit our large equipment and our high decibel level, level gear into smaller environments where it's not conducive, the practicality. The expense of real estate has gone up. Therefore, we don't have these larger venues. We have more smaller venues. This goes along the line of urbanization. And and with the falling cost of production equipment and and the falling cost of production, the democratization of music production has taken place, which has meant music is cheaper. We now don't even buy music. We pay for access to it. And with that means artists need to make more money on the road and that's becoming harder to do so they need to travel set up and exist on the road and as cheaply as possible and they need to do more road dates and that means these fly dates that may be one-offs and they cannot travel it is not practical to travel with large expensive equipment that's prone to breaking during vibration that's prone to uh, fuses going out that's prone to all sorts of things digital gives them the opportunity to travel with not just their equipment but also a backup to that equipment and and still be smaller than the traditional gear. So what does a tube amp- amplifier company do? I'm going to tell you. Because like I said earlier, I've been in marketing for 10 years and it baffles my mind that people don't realize how to sell guitars, amps, and all this stuff because you have everything working for you. See, I've sold products that people don't care about, that have real utility l- use, but I literally am a person who I right now in this room, if I only owned what I played, I would own one Kemper, a Kemper remote, and I would own two guitars, and that would be it. That's all I play out. I have two Sir Jam Pros and like a Sir Strat that I sometimes play out. I just got the second Jam Pro, so so usually it's two guitars. Now I kind of feel like I have three guitars that I would play out. But two guitars and a Kemper and a remote, that's it. But you want to know what's actually in this room? See, those of you watching on the video edition, you can see it. There's a wall full of guitars behind me. There's Fender Custom Shop Instruments. There are, uh, There's a PRS Ted McCarty. There are three Sir Guitars up here. There's a Squire J Massix, because why not? There's a really awesome custom-made Tele. And off-screen, I've got some acoustics. I've got some expensive Martins and Taylors. In this room are no less than 60 stomp boxes. I take that back. I sold some. There could be 40 to 50 in here. Only about three of them or four of them were given to me for free from manufacturers. All the rest I've spent my own money on. Behind me, I probably in this, am- in this house right now have about, maybe I have 10 amps. I could have like eight. I'd have to go look and check. I am obsessed with gear. I'm a tone junkie. A lot of people might think I'm the problem because I make Kemper profiles. No, 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 no. I'm your customer. I am your customer who literally discovered this technology like two years ago and went, holy shit. It's now. It's happening right now. Oh my. What? I didn't want it to sound good, but it did. I didn't want to drag it to a gig and have it sound like better than my amp with the SM57 in front of it. I didn't want to do that. But let's talk about it. I'm going to tell you right now how to have an amplifier company that is successful, not in 2018, but in 2021, 2020, 2022, 2023, going forward. Here you go. You ready? There is always going to be a place in this world for high quality handmade tube gear because nostalgia is the most is one of the most powerful emotions that a marketer can bring up. Nostalgia is the gateway into the library of human emotions. Did you just hear what I said? If you're an ant manufacturer is crucial. It may be crucial to your business that you hear what I have to say on this. Nostalgia is the door that you can open that accesses an entire history of human emotion, it is so powerful for a marketer because there's almost nothing else that does that. Fear can kind of do it too. But 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 not fear hits at one kind of singular fear, right? Fear hits at that and then you have to control the secondary emotion. That comes from fear. But as a marketer, nostalgia is the secret. If you can get people to buy nostalgia, they'll, they'll buy just about anything around it. That's why Star Wars is worth so much money. That's why Star Wars honestly can make... Even if you don't like Star Wars movies, you always go to see them because it's Star Wars. It's why the Mickey Mouse franchise, the Mario franchise is so valuable. I play Mario with my son because I remember... I remember... And then I look at my son and he tells me, Daddy, please, please just please one more level before bed. And I hear myself. I hear myself telling... My mom, please, mom, please. One more, one more level. Nostalgia is so powerful and we have so much powerful nostalgia because this is a market of people that grew up with something as emotional as music and they remember watching their heroes. I, for the life of me, cannot find a great red 335 block inlay that I want to keep. I've owned like four of them and I always end up selling them because Gibson makes shitty guitars a lot of times unless you get the really expensive stuff. But I bought stuff that's used like 1500 and stuff. A bunch of times I've done it and, um, uh, and I always end up selling them because they're not quite right. But I always go back to it. I always go back to it because when I was a teenager, I had discovered Cream and a lot of these old things and Cream takes me back. That music takes me back and seeing... I, I still have the photo, the, the poster. It's... It's a popular one of Eric Clapton playing a 335 in Cream. And it brings me back. It brings me back to when I first got my license. I used to listen to Cream in my dad's Toyota Avalon. I used to listen. I used to plug in my iPod. I had an iPod at the time through a little uh, eighth-inch jack, headphone jack, and... Um, Into a tape adapter A lot of you don't remember The tape adapter was an actual plastic tape With a wire hanging off of it You put it in the tape deck And it would play Because my wife's My now wife But then she was my girlfriend We were high school sweethearts And um, she actually She had this little cheap Suzuki Esteem And for some reason It still had a tape adapter And I remember playing Cream And we would go to Red Robin and And we'd go see a movie It brings me back to a time When I had butterflies in my stomach trying to hold a girl's hand. That's the power of music. You sell to those people. You got to tap into that. If I had an amp company, I would have literally the most successful boutique amp company on the planet because I get it. It's it's not even about the amp. It's 100% about emotion, and it's about creating the consumer perception. If you don't have this, you're missing out. This is it, the creme de la creme. And it's about connecting it to the past. I have a Fender Custom Shop instrument behind me that I paid like $3,800 for. It's not worth $3,800. The guitar on its merits is not worth $3,800. But do you know why I bought it? I bought it because I went to a Fender Custom Shop event and Paul Wailer Waller, I think is his name, he explained how he built that guitar. He explained that the stamp machines at the Fender Custom Shop date all the way back to Leo Fender that when they do inventory they stand up and they can see the dates on the machine those machines they're using that stamp the metal pieces, your input jack the bridge pieces and the bridge assembly and everything, those metal pieces were used on the first production strats you could take them go to a forensic specialist and have them forensically match back to the same press machine all custom shop instruments have that by the way he explained how a master builder could have someone else stamp out those parts, but they don't. They walk over to the machine and do it themselves. He explained how Fender didn't, they wanted to shoot nitrocellulose, but it's illegal now in California unless you build an afterburner. So they spent over a quarter million dollars building an afterburner on top of the custom shop. The air that comes out of the afterburner is, is cleaner than the regular California air. They explained to me how this instrument was made just like they made it in 59. Mostly, mostly. They they do use some routing, some CNC routing. They explain how they hand, how they hand shape, they hand finish the neck. The fretwork's all done by hand. It's all, it's all beautiful. They explain to me how with my pickup set, my actual pickup set, Josefina Campos hand wound everyone, hand wound. Not on a counter, but hand-wound it so that every pickup unique, every set of pickups is unique. Every pickup. When they told me this, I threw my wallet. I I like threw my wallet. I literally threw money at them. The guy was still talking. He was like, please don't throw things to the stage. I was like, I'm sorry. Okay, come on. When he told me this next thing, he said, every pickup is a snowflake because there's no way we could make two the same. And so every pickup set, is like the falling snow on a day made unique, totally unique because it's made of completely unique pieces. There's no other guitar like that one in the world. And when it belongs to someone, you can hold it in your hand and you can say, there isn't another one like this because this one is mine. And I gave that guy 3,800 bucks and I'll tell you something. I don't regret that decision at all. It was worth it because I am emotional about that guitar because that guitar connects me to the past. So here's what you do, tube amp manufacturers. I needed you to hear that to understand why this first product that you need to have is so important. You need to have the no compromise, no frills, uber expensive, all tube amp head. And your marketing needs to be centered around this is the t- this big transformer, these tubes, this plate voltage, this part of the circuit, and that part of the circuit and all this has been taken from my years of learning about what made those amps right. This power section was lifted from this Marshall and then slightly modified for more negative feedback. I don't know what I'm talking about. Just like, you know what I mean? But tell the story. You need to tell the story in your marketing. Connect us with the technology that you're, that you're using. Make it connect us with the past, with Clapton, with page, with all those guys connect us. And explain, this is it. This is a high quality piece of audiophile gear. Ex- have your endorsed artist come on and explain that when I'm in the studio, I f- there's no piece of gear that I find more inspiring, that helps me jive with the band and write these amazing parts and feel the music than the big 412 with this amp head. And dude, that needs to be $3,000, 4000 5000 That needs to be freaking expensive because that is the amp model that you build your brand on that's the one you make for the artists that is the one that is a heavenly experience a transcending experience that you can't believe it actually exists here that's the one you do and then you have to begin to solve the problems then you go and you see this cabinet right here this cabinet is actually uh, um uh, Made of this wood and that wood Oh and by the way Because we understand that touring artists And professionals And weekend warriors and church guys It's impractical to pick a, take a cab We have used our And then you make up some trademark term Like our true capture IR technology See, you can't, there's no such thing, like there's no such thing. doesn't matter though. You change the process slightly. You use one special mic, you use some, you go through some, pro- whatever, you can make it up, but you trademark true capture IR and you get your artist to say in whenever I can, I want to feel it on stage. There's nothing like feeling the sound of the amplifier and the feel of the air moving on stage. There's nothing that sounds like that. But when I have a fly off date, when I have to do a benefit concert, when I have a small gig, when we have to do a private show and I can't get my cab there because I've got to fly in and fly out, that's where I use the IRs direct from this manufacturer. And your IRs need to be priced more than the market to show quality, to show in the consumer perception that these are very expensive. And then here's what you do to make them really expensive. You give those IRs away to to the first person who buys your cab. And here's what that does. One is, amp manufacturers have one big problem. They compete against all the used gear on the market. So, as an incentive to buy a brand new cab and a brand new amp, you give away those IRs to the first buyer. The buyer who registers a serial number. And then they get them. And then those guys who paid 5,000 bucks for that amp, they get the amp, the cab and all these IRS. And if the going rate for an IR pack like that would be 40 bucks, you price yours at $200 or $150. Cause what's going to happen is they're going to be so hard to get because no one's going to want to pay the 150 at first, but then they're going to listen to the first owners. And what's going to happen is someone's going to go, I could buy it used, but if I buy it new, Not only do I get this like a warranty and it's new and I like it being new, but also I get the $150 IRs and I heard they're so good. Or, ant manufacturer, you sell that first cab, the guy gets the IRs, he sells the cab later, but on the used market, now you do have to compete with that used cab, but the second buyer buys the used cab, but they still want the IRs, so they go give you 150 bucks for a digital product that's infinitely replicatable, that doesn't cost you any more money. It's only a small upfront investment to produce it. And you are in a tough cash flow business, are you not? Right there is how you add value to your brand new product for first buyers and give yourself an edge in competing in the used market, give yourself the edge over your products that are, that are battling you in the used market, and you create the perception that you have the expertise because you do. You have all the authority to step into the IR world, to the Kemper profiling world, to any world and say, I am the amp manufacturer and I, I intimately understand the sound and the design of this amp. You can walk in and change the conversation like that. You have all the authority, not me, not Michael Britt, not the people at Kemper, not the people on the message boards. You have the authority. Nobody knows, nobody knows your amp's better than you, but you've got to story tell it. You've got to explain to us in an emotional way why that $5,000 amp is worth it. And you've got to be practical and understand that people are going to use these digital solutions. So why shouldn't you be the expert making the IRs? That way, my popular Nashville friend who, who I spoke to, who was going around, he could say, not only do I have this, I have this super expensive cab and I have the IRs and they sound amazing. And what's amazing about that is do you know how many people wouldn't even try other people's IRs if you had yours available? <laughs> Celestian makes IRs. They make 200 IRs. If anybody has more to lose than Celestian in the IR business, you, you tell me their names and I will eat crow because Celestian, literally all they make are the speakers. They don't even make the amp head that you could pair with the IRs. All they make are the speakers. And yet they've made over 200 IRs available. They are trying to put, I know this, they're trying to put their IRs in the Kemper, in the Axe, in the Helix. They want them in there. Because they understand that brand is worth more than anything. They'll create the products. Celestian has to still be synonymous with high quality, high value. Now, after you have that giant amp, that giant, huge, big amp, you start making the other products, you scale it down, you bring it down to 50 watts, maybe something slightly cheaper. Maybe you give them a price point lower than that, something in the, in the 2000 price point, you scale that amp down, you take away some features, you do it. And that's for someone who still wants to, it. but you do the same thing with the cab. You do the same exact thing with the cab. See, maybe you're a manufacturer and you have six amp models. And four of those amp models are available in a head and a cab. So in actual amplifiers, you have 10 products. Plus, you've got two cabs. You've got 12 products. You make that big head and you don't even touch it. That's it. That's what it is. And that's the creme de la creme. And IRs are your best way to get that thing on the road. I think you should make camera profiles of everything you create. And I think you should storytell while you make the best camera profiles. And I think you should get involved in the market, change the conversation. I really do. But back up, those other products, what do you do with them? What do I do with my little combo, right? What do I do with that? Okay. Well, you got to understand this there's a real drive for pedal boards to be the only thing that people bring to a gig for smaller portable amps. So look at what Victory's doing. Victory and Kingsley have taken their amp designs and they've put them down where they've built real tube amps in just small metal enclosures. And you run from that out, and then you let people run into a torpedo cab. So they have a real tube preamp on their board into some sort of a cab emulator and you go that direct to the board and you do that and you, you could even make people a deal on a set where you say, look, here is my actual, like here is the amp, right? Here's my little combo amp. It has two channels, right? What I've done is I've taken... Um, I've taken just the clean channel or just the channel 2 or I've taken just the AC channel out of that combo amp and I've made just the preamp in a little tube box. And now I I have a product that can serve people who need something even more um, pedalboard friendly. And what's going to happen is People are going to buy your amp and they're going to go, man, I love this head and cab. I love this little combo amp, or I love this little head and cab, this little AC30 style. Maybe it's got an AC30 on one side and a fender on the other, AC30 on one side, Marshall on the other. I don't know what it's got. But then you say, I'm just going to take the AC30 side and I'm just going to put that that little two box and you make a deal with them and you go, hey, you could buy the amp. And if you already own the amp, I'll give you a discount. You can get a rebate from me already on this for the original owner, right? Original owner who buys, check this out, guys, you got to like, listen to this. This is how you compete with the used market. You make that first amp and it costs two grand and you make that first amp, and then you go to the original owner and you tell all the original owners, if you own this first amp and you're the first buyer and you can show us the original receipt. We will sell you the small tube preamp box at cost. You don't tell them what cost is, but you just, you greatly reduce it. You could even do that direct, not even through the dealer. You got to talk with the dealer about that. You can sell them on it though, trust me. And you know why you do that? You do that because you want that buyer to go, you know what? What's being presented to me in the marketing is that I can have that amp and then I can have that a smaller preamp with the same preamp built that I can run with a torpedo cab pedal and I can have that be my quick fly date rig and it's like the same amp from the same manufacturer so I can be pretty well assured that I'm gonna get consistent tone no matter where I go then you also sell that little preamp at retail for a larger margin now you've got a product that fits the guy who wants portability all the time. You've got a product that fits the player who realistically wants the amp experience and sound like most of us still do, but we also need solutions for the smaller stuff. And then and then you go on. And from there you you give every, you you make you have just a little tube preamp and you sell that to the to the market. I, I'm not even kidding, I literally just blew myself away with what a great idea that was, because it solves all of the man- amp manufacturer problems. The small preamp ships cheaper, it's smaller to store in, in stores, which is a problem by the way. A lot of stores have too much inventory and it stops them from buying more amps logistically and then what they have to do is, they so that they like smaller units, they like combo amps because they have a margin, they have a, a, like a margin per f- square footage in the store that if they're smart, they're sticking to. The small one unit preamp solves the problem for the distributor. It also, that incentive, if you buy the big amp, you later at any time can get a huge discount on the little preamp version to be like a pair so that you have a pair for no matter what the situation and calls, you get real tube amp tone. That creates incentive for the buyer to ignore the used market and go directly to the dealer, which is another customer, which is another pain point for distributors and for manufacturers. And it also, it also opens you up to a new market and a new price point of people who aren't enjoying your stuff yet. I'm I'm giving you this for free. I'm telling you this is how you be successful as an amplifier company. Please do this. Please take this advice and do this. From there, you also you make your own IRs. You make your own Kemper profiles. I really believe you should be every single place in every single area. You make the pedals you make everything you make your brand synonymous with tone and you develop these awesome solutions and you even go on from there. And when you get comfortable with IRS and you find an engineer that can do it for you, you can even make direct units yourself that have, uh, that you can load an IR in and it's real tube front end with IRS in the back. It's not impossible. Thomas blue did it blue guitar. But the biggest thing I want to say too to amp manufacturers, and I, I hope some amp manufacturers are listening. I know this is long, but you've got to story tell better. I can't tell you how many people I just saw at Nam, who showed up at Nam, and, and they just set up a booth and hope Premier Guitar comes by. Premier Guitar is not a trusted source, like. Really discerning people, people who spend four or $5,000 on amps, I really don't believe read Premier Guitar and think it's anything but what it is. It's like a newspaper. It's a magazine. Their business model is we take money from you in exchange for a review. They don't say gear is good or bad. They say what's great about it. And they always find something that's great about it, even if it's cheap. Even if it's the, the good thing is, look how cheap this is for what you get. Yeah, it might be 30 sounds, but they're it's 30 not great sounds. Okay, well maybe you want that. It's cheap. If that's your price point, you got it. But I I seriously, if you make a three, four, five thousand dollar amp head, I don't I really don't think it helps you to be in premier guitar. I really don't. I think it's I think that's vastly overpriced for um for what you're getting there. I really do. I think you should pick up your iPhone, you should put it in your face, and you should start a vlog. Or you should say, if you're a guitar manufacturer or an amp maker, you should you should go to the place you get your wood. You should go and say, you should say, you know, every amp starts with what you see on the outside and you see a beautiful wooden pine box or something and you see Tolex. And you should take us to your distributor, take us to your supplier, sorry, and you should show yourself going and picking the Tolex, picking out the wood and showing that you care about every step of the process. You should show yourself going to a factory in Russia and getting the tubes and testing them on like an old school machine and and then testing it with your circuit and saying I'm 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 literally testing tubes to find out which what is the optimal rating and and what performance I want out of each tube at each position. And then your amps should come with tubes and you should buy tubes from JJ You should buy tubes from people and you should brand. Why are you not selling your own tubes? That's so stupid. If you have a $4,000 amp head, you should literally, you should be this person. You should say, this is the spec 12AX7 that I prefer in the phase inverter. This is what you need in V1. This is what you need in V2. Because I know tubes make a difference because I have a favorite tube inverter, uh, excuse me, a favorite tube for for the phase inverter. My favorite is a Jan Phillips. Um, uh, Joint Army Navy Jan Phillips um, 12AX7. Uh, my real favorite is the old school Amprex Bugle Boy. Why do I know that? Because I experimented with tubes. If people who buy a four thousand dollar tube head will buy um, uh, a premium set of tubes from you that where you've tested and you've said, no, I want slightly lower in the preamp. Or I want slightly hotter in the preamp. I want a fifty. Uh, you know, I, I want these different things everywhere. Show you on video testing the tubes by hand. Show that it, that this is that your amp is so bespoke. You go and do this. This is for your big amp, by the way, that big no frill, all the frills, no spared expense amp. Show the journey of how an amp is born. Show your commitment. Show show all of it. Document it. Connect me with the past. Go show me. Say explain to me this transformer I'm using is made of the same exact components of alnico of magnesium of whatever that the original transformers were made. And we spec'd this transformer directly from mercury magnets. No one else has our spec transformer and we did it by taking apart this old blah, 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 that just had this real snappy punchy feel. I'm writing all the copy for you. Will you please do this? Will you please stop sitting around and just being so angry that like digital's taking so? it's not going away. It's not, go- it's not going to turn back. You've got to storytell, you've got to explain. Some of you are artisans, you're craftsmen, you're your art, I mean, you're you're experts, you're geniuses, your engineers. And you might think it makes sense for you, why well, why can't just like Philip McKnight talk about my amp? Because Philip McKnight talks about so many amps that it's not really important what he talks about anymore. So people don't get that. That's the other side of influencer marketing. I don't actually view, like, uh, just, this is not picking on anyone. I love Pete Thorne. This is a reality of situation. Look at Pete Thorne's review count as, as, as um, the amount of content he's produced has gone up. He's now a YouTuber. He's now a content producer. And so if you see what happens, there's so much coming out of the funnel that less people are watching each video. Now, hang on a minute. I'm not saying that's bad. That's actually better. That's a better strategy that Pete has now because he still has just as many eyeballs on his product. He probably has way more. They're just, they're being spread out over stuff. And the people who are really into Pete Thorne, they're going deeper. I watch, I'm deeper into Pete Thorne in the stuff I watch of him because I watch so much more. And I enjoy him now, not just on a guy who can play, I enjoy his opinion, his personality. That's better for Pete Thorne. But my point is, you can only you're only paying pete thorne or philip mcknight for one piece of content and so because of those because they're producing so much they have the huge audience they have all the subscribers but look at the actual view counts of the videos as those guys have ramped up production of the videos this it's getting spread out so your one video you pay them for actually has less views that audience what you're paying them is still so worth it paying a philip mcknight paying um uh, a pete thorn or paying andertons to do a video on you is still worth it that's some of the best money you'll ever spend you need to do more of that but you also need to understand that those videos should help raise awareness for your product they should they can't story tell for you they cannot you cannot rely on them they're talking to their fans in the way they do and that will create awareness and help you story tell through them a little bit but really it's, it's awareness you then need to connect with them through your own social, through your own content, and explain to them why your stuff is worth so much money. Storytell. Fender connected me with the past. I gave them $3,800, and I do not think that guitar is anywhere near as good as my John Sur guitars that I paid $2,000 for. New. One of them was used. I paid $1,600 for that, and I think all of those are better guitars than that. I think this telly right here is almost just as good, and I paid... Thirteen hundred for that used is just as good as that that gold guitar, my gold sparkle strat. It's not worth thirty eight hundred dollars. It's just not. But you know what? A l- love is priceless. Emotion is priceless. It's escapism. You sell escapism. You're letting the lawyer pretend that he didn't marry the fat woman. That he didn't have four spoiled kids that he didn't lose half his money in a divorce with a Porsche and lose. And, and now the best thing he has is a Porsche and he has some young girlfriend who inside he really hates because he kind of loathes himself. You're selling him the escapism of what if I had just followed my heart? (sighs) Remember when I was 22? And I, and I remember when I was 22 and I played that show and those girls were so into us and I dated her for the summer and I snuck into her house and like, and we went and we did all this stuff and we went on that road trip. We didn't even tell anybody on her. We didn't even tell her parents. And we, and we, we slept in a tent under the beach, under the stars at the beach. Remember when we just used to like get in the car and drive? We drove 4 hours and 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 we saw we saw Megadeth live, you know? We saw Heart, I don't know. <laughs> and we and we didn't and we just drank a bunch of paps and stayed out all night and we slept on that guy's couch. And then and then the next morning we made waffles and they caught on fire and we thought we you sell escapism help me escape tell your story I, I don't no one's going to take me up on this because i'm a kemper profiler and ant manufacturers hate me and so many have threatened to sue me but I, I legit i legit if any ant manufacturer wanted to get a hold of me i would take a look at your product and i would i would just for free i would just think about it i would develop a plan and i would just i mean i have to value my time but i would have a conversation with you for free and just throw every idea in my head for like two three hours at you and you see what sticks But I'm telling you, I think the, I think the ideas I've shared with you today are fricking gold, are fricking money and no one's doing it. What's really killing the tube amp is that you're not doing the things I just said. What's really killing the tube amplifier is that you're not solving the problems of we need, we need portability. We need lower decibel levels. And if we're not going to have that in the traditional tube design, I respect that. Give us a design that gives us those things. Create a system. Let me buy a system. Let me buy my hundred watt Plexi system. I'll buy that. Then I'll buy the little combo amp for the smaller gigs with my combo amp. I can, I'll get all the IRs because I bought the cab with, or, or with my combo amp, and the IRS come with that. I also uh, have uh, my little preamp that I can then take my IRs that you produced and my preamp out on the road for the fly gigs. And you've given me a solution to be a musician. In the 21st century if you really can I would get with some people who make some software plugins and if you can get your some licensed stuff on guitar rig I would do it because I don't think anybody really believes that that software takes the place of a tube amp but I will tell you living in Nashville what has happened is long term whoever wins the plug-in guitar emulation uh, a part of the business is going to win big time. And I'll tell you that because producers, what's happening is songwriting and demo production has now become one thing. Uh, In Nashville, it used to be traditional and Los Angeles is this way too. You would sit down, you would write the song, then you would later go do the demo. Still a lot of that is being done. But as production has gotten cheaper, what you have is songwriters who have learned production. They can do production on their laptop and they can definitely do production at the level of demo production which they will then give to a publisher to shop around. So what's happening is songwriting and demo production are going in the same. And what you have is while the song's being written, the demo's also sort of being tracked. They're doing rough vocals and stuff. Then they take that rough vocal and whatever drum beat or whatever they came up in the writing session, they're then putting in they're then just keeping that and and they keep adding on top of it until they have a demo. Then they come back with all the lyric changes and melody changes after they have built the arrangement and now they sing uh, the demo vocal and a lot of times it's sung by one of the songwriters now. And what happens is when they're in that room, they have to work fast because so many of those songs are going to go nowhere that they're just using whatever plugins are in the DAW and keep going here with my logic what's then happening is no one believes that's amazing amp tone no one no one's paying them a lot of money to do that but once it makes its way onto a demo what happens is they start because they're doing demo production doing a lot of these smaller independent releases and then you have people in the industry going well I'm just going to use these these things and they sound fine and they do sound fine do you see it creeping up though it used to be only hobbyists now it's people now it's songwriters and smaller production guys doing demo stuff and it's moving up and up and up and it's actually making its way into very high quality demo production. So I would look at that in the future for your brand, but you've got to build your brand with the type of things that I'm talking about today. I've been HW. I hope you have some understanding of what's really killing the tube amp because I'm going to make a prediction right now. I'm going to go on record. I believe that in 24 to 36 months, you're going to walk around Nam and more than half the booths are going to be having digital solutions. I believe you're going to walk around in the next 24 to 36 months and boutique names that you know today are going to be gone because they're going to go belly up because they're not going to survive because they're not going to adapt. They're not going to do the types of things I've done today. I've mentioned today. The types of things I've mentioned are not the only things you can do, but I think they're really smart. I really do. I've shared with you some really great ideas. I say that. As a person who has um, spent a tremendous amount of time looking at this industry, I say that as a person who is a marketer, I pay that as a person who has often paid for my opinion in these matters. My name's H.W. You've been listening to the Tone Junkie Podcast or the video edition on Facebook, YouTube, or IGTV. Thank you very much. I sincerely hope that someone will do what I'm talking about because they will make a lot of money doing it. HW out.